Um, in that area, kind of older, older, um, hundred year homes uh, neighborhood. So this guy's got this cool home, you know, two stories, gable, Victorian, you can picture it, right? And uh, we, we load up the table, he's got his buddy there, we get to talking, and here's the other thing, here's the other thing about me with like, like the Craigslist book and the Facebook marketplace thing, I still talk with some of the people that I bought stuff from, like I still text with them, you know, like I just kind of make friends, I, I, it's, it's, it's call me weird, but this guy and I, he was a really interesting guy, kind of high-strung, type A, business starter, literally like really like spastic, crazy, like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then we're talking about this, and then also we're talking about that, kind of that one, of those, one of those guys, and I'm just kind of having fun. And I was like, we talked for like 45 minutes after we loaded up, and then I was like, guys, I, I gotta go. He and his buddy are there, and I was like, guys, I, I gotta go. And, he, and the guy, the owner, who's you know, kind of spastic, he's like, wait a second. Do you have just like seven more minutes to go look at my basement? That's not weird at all, right? You know, it's just like, how can you say no? You know, but then I look at his friend, and his friend's like, dude, you need to go see his basement. I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll die, but let's go see your basement. So, so we walk out the back of his house, and there's this porch on the back of this Victorian 100-year-old house. And it's a smaller porch. And he goes to one side of the deck and, and like a spy pushes a button underneath one of the railings. And I kid you not, a third of that deck starts going like this, really slow, all the way up. And it reveals this stairway down to what I think is going to be like a cellar, you know, 100 year old home. This is where they used to like keep the meat or whatever, you know, like this is, you know, so if we go down these stairs. And he opens up the door, and, and this is what I see. Don't worry about the sound, Trevor. This is perfect. That is in his basement. I'm freaking out at this point. There's another room, okay? And then over here, that's a, a, a book door, a, you know, like, a, like a bookshelf door. You see it? And one of these books, one of those books on the bottom shelf, you go like this, and it opens. Oh, you know, that opens the creeks into another room. And each room is designated to like a different era, to a different architecture style. And then it's chucked full of not just like stuff that you get at Hobby Lobby that looks old. It's all authentic. We're talking about, he, he, he was kind of had a thing for gambling. I don't think he was a gambler himself, but he like had all of these little gambling trinkets that people used to carry in their pockets, like how to play dice without, with like, like these little tiny dice are like contained in this little pocket watch disc thing. He had this box that was like a gambler's travel kit. And you, it was this box, like this like sawn oak box that you'd open up and it had like three, three decanters of whiskey in it and then poker chips and cards and like, and then you literally like, you, you like hit the box on the back of it just right and the spring door pops out and there's a revolver in it, kid you not. I was like, I've never been more jealous in my life of, of earthly goods. This is amazing. Like, like, like I, I, and that was like one of, th he had three of those. He had a wall that was that, that wasn't in this picture that was dedicated as a small wall, but it was dedicated to the U.S. dollar and the history of the U.S. dollar from when it started in like the six uh, the 1800s. 
He had a note that was pre, he had, he had a $2 note that was pre-revolution, like 1774. I mean, I could go on and on about, like, just put those pictures up of these rooms. Like, this was like, he, you know, I, I was like, what, where did you get all this stuff? He's like, he said this, he's like, there was once, in, during World War II, there was a bombing, and, and it leveled this building, but underneath the building, like the bombing trapped this room and encapsulated it for like, like 80 years and then somebody uncovered it and that's what I bought. I was like, really? He's like, no. But that's my inspiration. <laughs> I mean, who does this, right? It's who, who does this kind of stuff go to the next one? I mean, just every detail was thought about, like just uh, like the woodworking, the craftsmanship. Those floors are not laminate. It's wood floors that he had a craftsman like put in his cellar, his basement. Who does that? That's story number one. Story number two. About 15, 18 years ago, I decided uh, as a youth pastor at the time to take my youth group and members of my church at the time down to a place called Juarez, Mexico. Honestly, it is one of the best things that I ever did in ministry. Like people have told me, like, Josh, we loved having you as a youth pastor, but that's the best thing that you ever did. And then in, in some ways, like, Juarez, Mexico, are you kidding me? That's like the worst thing you could ever do is take a bunch. Like we took literally like ages 8 to 80 to Juarez, Mexico. If you don't, I'm familiar. Juarez, Mexico is on the border of, of El Pato, Texas and Mexico, uh, sister cities with El Paso. And during, during, like, at points in time in the, like, when we were fighting in Iraq, there was newspaper uh, writings, you know, headlines that were saying that, like, Juarez was actually more dangerous than Baghdad for gun violence. And we somehow brought people to it. And, and actually, we stopped after a couple of years of doing it. It got so bad, we had to stop. But what I found there, we, we partnered with a church, and we met a couple. The pastors' are, are, names are Tony and Coco. And we met them, and they, they're just incredible people. And they have this church, and the church has to have these tall um, um, fences around it and gates and locks and everything because it's, it's really, like, 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 I remember the last trip that we went, like, one of the kids got shot. He was out, he was probably out too late, and he got shot twice in the chest by a drive-by shooting. And I was like, where were you? He's like, right over here. I'm like, oh, okay. But he, this is the, the environment that my friends Tony and Coco lived in. It lived in. And he, what's crazy is when I met them, I st like when I first met them, they were kind enough to share their story with me of their ministry, of their calling, you know, like how they came to be a pastor in this town and this place. Turns out that Tony had grown up in that town, in, in Juarez, but he was born into like a middle-class family, so he had good education, he had a good job with the government, he, he, he didn't take any money from the church, but he worked his job all week and then he'd go and preach on Sundays and, and pastor as much as he could in his spare time. And they, like, just story after story of, of people coming to Christ and, and people being ministered to and, and feeling, having, like this church was this epicenter of, of safety in a really dangerous place, and the neighborhood knew that, and they'd come. It's this beautiful, beautiful story. And then one night we were talking, I re I'll never forget this, we're talking, and, and, I, and I, I'm starting to put the pieces together of their story. 
where they came from, you know, how much, you know, how much money they have compared to maybe what the average person has. And I start to realize that they, they don't need to be there. They're not stuck in Juarez. But they, in, in a vulnerable moment, they share with me like, no, we live in Juarez. Like actually our family who, you know, Tony's family had some money. They've all left. Juarez, all of his brothers, his sisters, his mom, his, their dad, they don't live there anymore because it's so dangerous. Who wants to live there? But they've felt compelled to stay because they're called there. And I just got to hang out with them a couple weeks ago, and they're still called there. It's like, who does that? Who, who does that? Who, who, like, imagine, you know, we got a lot of families in the room, like, your, your kids are growing up in a dangerous place. And you could leave, but you choose to stay. Who does that? That's story number two. Story number three. A man was walking through a field one day. And his toe kicked something. And he kind of tripped over something. He looked back and he you know, thought it was a rock. And he realized it wasn't a rock. It was the little bit of brass and wood kind of sticking out of the ground. He's like, what's that? And he starts to unearth it. And dig, 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 and, and sure enough, it, it's a chest. And he dig, dig, dig more, and he gets it unearthed, and he, and he opens it up, you know, kind of does one of these, and look, make sure no one's looking, opens it up, and it's just filled with gems and gold and loot and valuables. And he quickly does what any of us would do, hide that thing, buries it back into the ground, goes you know, back, to, back to town, and he starts to, proceeds to very quickly sell everything that he has because he doesn't own that land. He wants to buy it, and in order to buy it, he's got to sell everything he's got. And people are looking at him like, what are you doing? You're, what, why are you doing this? I'm going to go buy some land. Yeah, but you're going to need that. Wait, you just got that. Why would you do that? And the man would say, because I found something more valuable than all of this. And he sold everything he had, and he went and bought that field. That's the three stories. Can you see kind of the, the similarity, the thread between all of them? These are examples of, of someone or someones doing something, what we're going to call over the top. That's the title of this new series we're going to do for the next few weeks. It's called Over the Top. Over Top is something radical, something unusual, something out of the people. You know, like those are, these are stories of people who are willing to do something out of the ordinary, not usual, something that, that people would say, okay, what are you doing? And we're going to define over the top this way. Go ahead and put that slide up. Over the top refers to something that is extreme or dramatic in nature doing something over the top. It implies that someone is doing something beyond the usual limits or boundaries. That's what over the top means. Just leave that up because that's our definition for over the top. Have you ever done something over the top? Have you ever been a part of something over the top? It can be kind of fun. Romance? romantic stories that are over the top. I read a, a book once about a guy like, like this guy named Ryan that was just in love and he, he was proposing to his girlfriend and he randomly walked up to a stranger who had a beautiful house on a, on a, on a lake or on the ocean and he's like, hey, you have a beautiful house. Um, can I use it to propose to my girlfriend? Oh, by the way, my name's Ryan. 
You know, like one of those, and the person's like, I, I guess. And, and, and then one thing led to another, and he ended, you know, they, they asked, he asked him, would you put out a table for us? They're like, sure, I guess, we're letting you use your house. Hey, would you cook a, a, this, this meal for us? I'll get you the goods, but would you cook it for us? And like, sure. And, and, and the family's like, what is going on? And the night of the thing, you know, the proposal happens, and they've got their part done. And, and Ryan has, you know, his, his girl there, and he gets down on one knee and, and proposes to her, you know, and they, they like, oh, sweet, we were a part of it. And then all of a sudden, in the bay behind them, the Navy was there, and they, they shoot guns over the couple as she says yes. Ryan had gone over the top to, to recruit the Navy to, to you know, help him propose to his girlfriend. Romance kind of makes us do stuff over the top. Here, here's my romantic story. I was like 12 years old, and I like this girl named Jamie Eels. And we were, in, I was living in one small town, she was living in the other, and they were like 13 miles apart. And I was like, Mom, can you take me to Jamie's house? No, I can't today. I got this, that, and the other thing. Her parents were like, no, we can't either. And I was like, fine, I, I got to see you today. I'm biking to your house. And so I took my single-speed dyno. Remember those old, you know, trick bikes? And I just biked 13 miles. I was so proud pulling up to her house. I literally sang this, remind you, it's the 90s, okay? And I would bike 13 long miles, and I would bike 13 long more just to be the man who did, did. you know, this is great. I went over the top. It was fun. Maybe you've done something similar for your wife or girlfriend. Maybe you hope that might happen someday. Pranks can be over the top. Well, there's a lot of pranks in my college that happened and, and there was these, this group of guys that were always doing pranks. And the problem was, it was kind of like this fun game between them and the maintenance guys at the school, because the maintenance guys would have to clean it up. I'm sure sometimes the maintenance guys didn't think it was fun, but they were good sports. You know, they would like flamingo the yard, but then, you know, first thing in the morning, it would be like the maintenance gets there early, so they clean it up early. Nobody really knew about the prank. There's a couple that went that way. And finally, one day, these guys were like, we got it. And there's one day I was going to, chat, to, to class, on my way to class, and it's like the time when everybody's going to class at, at the college campus in the morning, you know? And at, there's this bridge, and it's this, it, the whole campus on one side goes through this bridge to the other campus, you know, like the other side of the campus. And on this bridge, these guys had figured out, and it was about this wide between these chairs, they had figured out how to get a Subaru in the bridge. And they took the tires off of it. They got him. They won that day for the maintenance guys. It was so over the top. And all of us are just laughing as we're doing this, going to class. They did it. They did it, you know? Pranks can be fun. Over the top things, you know? Another over the top birthday parties, surprise parties. You know, so my, my buddy was telling me for his 50th, his wife threw a surprise party a week after his birthday. So they had the birthday, and then, but the real one was a week later. Totally got him. The best birthday I've ever been a part of that was totally over the top was at Rose Valley Ranch. I used to work at this ranch for a wealthy guy and he turned 50 and he flew out from the East Coast, all of his friends, like 50 people to this ranch. And it's all, everything was paid for it. Like there's all these activities. There's a full-time masseuse, tennis pros. I was the fishing guide with three fishing guides there, just taking people fishing all day. It was, it was so much fun because people are freaking out. This is so awesome. You know, there's a rodeo, full, a full-blown rodeo. He, he like had pro rodeo people come in and they had a rodeo at the ranch in the middle of nowhere. And then on the last night, catch this, this is awesome. Michael Bolton shows up. Who does that? 
Michael Bolton had a full-blown concert in the courtyard of Rose Valley Ranch. And we're all just like, I don't really like Michael Bolton, but this is sweet. Wait a minute, there's a woman. It was, just, it was great. It was so over the top. It was fun. It's fun to be a part of things that are over the top, right? Like, as I tell these stories, it's like, yeah, those are good times. You have your own. It'd be fun to share and just, like, pass the mic around, right? Can we all say, like, we're drawn to these types of stories. We retell them. We remember them. We, we hold on to them. We like them, right? In fact, just show of hands. If life has been, let's, let's be honest with each other here. If life has been a little bit boring for you lately, and, and you wouldn't mind having a little bit of, of fun, kind of carefree, this kind of stuff that I'm talking about in your life, just raise your hand. I'm raising my hand, by the way. Yeah. Like, like who doesn't want a little bit more of that kind of living, that, those kind of stories? In, in, in a way, we could say, isn't that what life's kind of for? It's interesting, and the, the way that this series came about, I was laying in bed one night, and sometimes some of my better ideas come from this. This is a couple months ago. I'm just like, man, when I think of the New Testament, and I think of Jesus in the New Testament, and the people around Jesus in the New Testament, I made this observation that there was just something about Jesus that brought over-the-topness out of people. If you're familiar with, with the New Testament and the stuff of Jesus' life and the things, the circumstances around it, and some of the people and the characters in his life, there, there's some people who do some pretty crazy stuff, kind of like, like who, who does that? Here's some examples. Um, there's this woman named Mary Magdalene who Jesus, like, we don't know all the details, but Jesus had obviously changed her life. And she came from a background, she was a prostitute, she came from, from definitely the other side of the tracks, right? From the religious leaders, and, and the other side of the tracks of who Jesus was. You would see, you know, like, people would say, yeah, she's not like him. But she, she, uh, Jesus did something for her that was so freeing, so, so liberating, so life-changing that one day while Jesus was, was hanging out with some people at a house, she came in and broke a jar of, of expensive, do you remember, I forget which, was it, was it myrrh? Like a, it was like a perfume, and it, it, different translations have different ways of describing it, but it, it was extremely expensive. Maybe a year or two years worth of salary. And she comes in and breaks it over Jesus' head and anoints him. And everybody around her, them, uh, him, was, was looking at this, including the disciples. He's with a bunch of Pharisees, and they're like, that is what in the world? This, she, she's here. She's touching him. She's, she's, how much does that cost? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it costs that much. Even the disciples were like, that's not right. That's too much. That, in fact, one of the disciples says, we should, we, should have been able, we should have used that to sell it and give it to the poor, Jesus. You're all about the poor. And Jesus is like, you got it wrong. The poor you will always have. I will not be here. Always. What she did to, for me was, is beautiful, and it will be remembered for generations. And I think three out of the four Gospels record that story. 
We, we know about it today because it was so over the top. That's just one example. Another example is this guy named Zacche- Zacchaeus, which if you grew up in church, you know Zacchaeus. And, and if you grew up in church and you've heard of Zacchaeus, you've got to stop for a second and make sure you don't miss the, what, like, what's really going on in that story. Because there's a lot of propriety in that, that culture. There's a lot of like certain people do this, certain people do this, almost like a classism, like, like, like those are the beggars, but I'm not a beggar. Zacchaeus was not a beggar. He was probably a very wealthy man. He was a tax collector. So he had dignity. He had a reputation, albeit sometimes with the Jews, not a good reputation. But, he, but there was pride in what he did probably, like in, in, in his wealth and what he, where he'd gotten in life. And here Jesus was going to come to town. And he heard enough about Jesus. And again, Jesus, there's just something about Jesus that brought radical out of them. He, 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 um, he wants to see Jesus, but he doesn't, he, it's one of those things where he's like, that guy's a religious guy. I'm kind of on the other side of the tracks for religion in a different way than, than the woman was. But I'm not sure he's going to like me, and I, I want to save face. So I'm going to, I'm going to, he's like, I, but I want to see him so badly, I'm going to climb a tree. Grown men didn't climb trees in the Jewish ancient world. It, it, it's just the dignity. Is, but he's like, no, I'm willing to do that. And I think Jesus, maybe Jesus saw that as an act of, you know what? Like I see your, your, your you, like I see your, what, how, I see your desire for this. And, and Jesus does something, you know, like he comes underneath the tree and he looks up, he sees Zacchaeus, he's like, I'm going to your house today. And there was something about Jesus that, that Zacchaeus is like, I would love for you to come to my house today. And then fast forward, and there's a couple of scenes in the Bible that I'm like, dang it, why did you leave that out? They, they fast forward hours between coming to your house, and then all of a sudden they're at their house, they're reclining from the table, which means they'd already eaten and drank, and had, you know, it's probably hours of conversation. Zacchaeus stands up, and he says, Jesus, because of who you are, there's something about who you are. I'm going to sell, I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to sell a lot of stuff and I've wronged people and anybody I've wronged, I'm going to repay not just once, like three, four times. And, and his friend, he had friends there. It's his house. He gets to choose who comes. His friends were there probably thinking, what are you doing? Who does that? Like, like what is happening? That's so over the top. But there's just something about Jesus that brought zeal out of people, bold action out of people. One of my favorite ones, it, like the, it's, it's subtle, but I, I, it was, I've been preparing this series for a while now. I'm like, I just can't skip over this story. I think it's in the, the Gospel of Luke. And it's part of, it's like a Christmas story. So this is like Christmas in July. It's great, you know? It, we, there's, Jesus is born. And there's a, there, um, there's a tradition within the, the, um, the Jewish tradition that on the eighth day you bring a son to the temple to be circumcised and to be blessed and that kind of stuff. And there's a woman at the temple that was, um, that was there all the time. Her name was Anna. And we learn through, through the Gospel of Luke that Anna, the Lord had told Anna that one day she would see the Messiah. And when she heard that, she never left the temple. She's like, I'm going to see this Messiah, and and, and I'm going to stay in the temple until I see the Messiah. And people had to, uh, uh, um, 
not just people. I bet you everybody thought, you know, Anna, she's sweet, but she's a little bit crazy. Because she's just hanging out at the temple all the time. Supposedly the Messiah is coming. When Jesus showed up that day, somehow she knew that it was him. That he was the Messiah. And she greatly rejoiced and sang this song and, and, and does all this, this stuff. And it's so over the top. And, and, and the, the Bible doesn't tell it, but we don't hear about Anna ever again. My guess is she probably didn't live another 30 years before Jesus actually started doing stuff. But she, she, had in, in, she was compelled, she had the conviction, she held the conviction that even if I can just see the Messiah as a babe that is worth giving my whole life to, devoting my whole life to just make sure I don't miss it. So over the top. Who does that? There's tons of people just crying out, breaking social faux pas to just be near Jesus because there was just something about Jesus that, that brought that out of people. And my question for you today is, has he brought that out of you? If you consider yourself a Jesus follower, has he brought radical out of you? Can you think of a time where you did something over the top, not just because you were nice, not just because you were born in this family or you had the money or whatever, but just like, just because I'm doing this, just be, Jesus. I've observed something of Jesus. I, 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 I'm trying to be like him. And as I try to understand that, I, I'm going to do something that people are like, wait, you're doing what? Who, no one, who does that? Jesus followers do that. See, this is a series about radical, authentic faith. We're going to put it like this. You could say over the top equals radical faith. Expressions of radical faith. And, and, don't, and anytime we preach something like this, we've got to be careful that like to equate this is faith. It's not. It, it, it's a byproduct of faith. It's one of the many byproducts of faith is every once in a while you do something that you don't quite understand, people don't understand, but gosh, I am really supposed to do this right now. And you notice that over the top equals radical faith and I crossed out radical because in reality that's redundant. Faith is in, in essence always radical. It, authentic, true faith when it's lived out. When you and I are following Jesus, I mean, just think about what Jesus said. You know, the two commandments that he said, like somebody asked him that one day. We've talked about this so many times. What's, what's, the, what's the greatest commandment? And he just, without flinching, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Jesus, kind of like you're saying, you want me to love God with everything. There's not, what else can you add to that list? There's nothing, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything we have is to be in, in an attitude and a posture of love towards God. That's our faith. That's pretty radical. If we're doing that, we don't need the word radical. It, it's just faith. And the second is like it, to love others basically like that. Love others like yourself with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's pretty radical. Who does that? Like seriously, who does that? And, and catch this, if even like 10% of Christians in this country, people, like when I say Christians, I'm, I'm defining it like people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, sure. Or like they're filling out a survey and they're like, ah, uh, Christian. 
If 10% of the people who check that box live that way, we, we have a completely different story than we have right now in this country. Can we all agree that, that Christianity would have a lot better name than it actually does right now in our culture? Just if, you, if 10%, even if 10% of people did that for like six months, the people would be like, what is going on? Like, like, like all these things are funded. The people are like, instead of being, you know, instead of picking a fight politically, they're being nice to each other. What is going, like that, that's, that's, that's what faith is. That's what it means to have faith. And, 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 and with that faith comes this abandon. This bold, you know, this, this penchant for bold action, for set to do, this willingness to sacrifice, a sense of resolve and conviction and determination. No, I'm going to live this way because my Savior lived this way, and He called me to it. And look, I mean, even over the top examples of Jesus, not just the people around Him, but the things that He said. Think about some of the phrases that He said. If anyone would follow after me, they must pick up their what? cross. Guys, this cross that I'm about to carry isn't just my cross. Okay, yes it is. The, the cross that's going to forgive your sins, I carry that. You don't have to worry about other people's sins. You don't have to worry about your sins because of the cross that I'm carrying. But I want you to pick up a cross and that cross is the service and the sacrifice and the love of other people even when it costs you. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Get rid of it. That's over the top, Jesus. Like, should we, you know, obviously we shouldn't do that literally because none of us would have eyes or arms because of the next one. So, but what does that mean? What, but that's an over the top statement. Uh, he's talking to a, the rich young ruler and it, like the, the conversation kind of comes to a head and he's like, you know what I want? You know what? You want to be perfect? Go sell everything you have. What if I preached on that one Sunday, guys? I feel like God's leading us to sell everything we have and just give it away. Church attendance might go down the next Sunday. I'm not sure. That's extreme, but he called that guy to it. There's something about Jesus. Like, like when you're around him, like he either calls us to or, or, or you know, like, you know, um, um, motivates in us, inspires in us radical things. He washed his disciples' feet. That he's going to the cross. He knows within hours he will be beaten beyond recognition. And this is the last time he's going to be with his buddies. And what does he do? He doesn't take it easy. He doesn't allow them to serve him, which would have been totally appropriate. He serves them. John writes it this way. He's like, he's like, when he was about to go to the cross and show him his love, he was going to show him the full extent of his love. And he took off his robe, put on, put on a servant's robe, and started washing their feet. That was the full extent of his love. It's a double statement. Yeah, the full extent of love is going to the cross. Full extent of love is also taking out the trash when it's even a hard day for yourself. Because out of love for others. That's what Christ did. You know, he, he, he gets to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Even just, now he's even closer to being arrested. And he's praying. And he said, God, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to drink this cup of wrath. But not my will, but yours be done. And the creator of the world 
went to the cross for you and for me. Who does that? It's over the top. He not only brought out radical love, he, he modeled it. And not only does he model it, he requires it. He demands it. He said, if you want to be my follower, every once in a while you're going to do something. That's over the top. Where people are like, wait, wait, wait. You want me to do what? You're doing what? Who does that? So I ask you again. Have you ever had something in your faith? A moment in time in your faith where your faith drove you to do something over the top? When was the last time? Christians, Christians that have been you know, in church for, for years and years and you got your Bible and you got like notes in it and you actually know how to read it and stuff. When's the last time that your faith drove you to do something radically over the top? Something that other people were like, what are, why, why are you doing that? What's the most over-the-top thing that you've done for Christ? I was meeting with, with Edwin this week and, and talking to him about this series. And, and, and he asked me a question, Josh, what, you know, what have you done in the past? And what are you doing now that's over the top? And we just talked about that for a while. It was so good. And here's the deal. If you don't know, if, you, if nothing's coming to mind, you probably you might be feeling like, I don't know if I want to come to church next week. Like, please, I'm so glad you're here. And honestly, if, 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 if you're just kind of like grasping at straws and you're not like, oh, don't know, like maybe this, maybe that, but that's not me. And I don't know if I have that kind of faith. Do I have any faith? Wherever you're, this is landing with you, I just want you to know I'm actually jealous. If that's your story, I'm actually jealous of you. Because you're at the early stages of your faith. And that doesn't matter if you've been going to church for years or you grew up in church or whatever. Like that, that, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Because we've either done things or we haven't. God's either leading us in such a way and we're allowing him to lead us in such a way that every once in a while we do something radical or we're not. And if, 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 if you're on the not side, I'm, I'm jealous. Because there's a lot for you to see in the future. Students, I, I know this is kind of like a little bit, it's, it's kind of out there, this topic. But like you in your young faith, you get a chance to live life in such a way where you'll have chances to trust God in really radical ways. And if you do, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous of the stories that you'll be able to tell on the other side. If you lean into this idea. See, this is, this is what faith is, guys. Faith is not knowledge. It's not church attendance. It's not a political view. It's not how much of this you've done. It's not even how much you've given, because we all know you can give in ways that aren't all that, you know, you do it more for yourself. The essence of faith is this. There's something about that Jesus guy that I need in my life. There's something about Jesus that is so remarkable, so incredible, so world-changing. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him that I want to be more like him. And, 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 and here's, you can say, okay, but why? Why does, why does God want that from us? Why, why is this? There's this verse, and this is, this is probably our theme verse for, for this series. Like, um, it's Hebrews 11.6, and I don't have it on the board, but like, if you want to turn it into your Bibles, you can, because put a bookmark in it. It's a good one. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
strong statement. Without faith, you, you can't actually please God. Put a pin in that for a second. Without faith, you can, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, okay, and that he, the word is rewards, those who earnestly seek him. This is, by the way, in the middle of this, this part in Hebrews. I mentioned this last week when we were talking about Joseph because Joseph is mentioned in the hall of faith. He's talking about people who have extreme faith that, that, that are like, man, I don't know why. I, uh, God's calling me to leave my home, my, my security, my family, like everything, this structure of life that without it could mean certain death. That's Abraham's story. God's calling me to leave and I'm going to do it. And people are like, what are you doing? Who does that? That's crazy. He's like, I don't know, but I'm supposed to go. And, and he, like, it's, there's all stories throughout the Old Testament. People have done that. And in Hebrews, the writer brings all that together. And in the midst of that, he puts this verse. He's like, you know, this faith is important. This kind of action is important. Because without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. In other words, you want to make God happy? Not in the sense of like, are you happy now? But like, God, I want to make you happy. Like, like, like he, uh, I want you to look at me and, and smile. <laughs> Do something in faith. And here's the thing. This is, I was thinking about it this week. This is so huge because it, it actually solves a, a big problem that, that a lot of us have, really all of us have. It's the fact that God's invisible. I've never seen God. I know people that, that have visions or the, what they thought were visions, but like, I'm pretty sure the Bible makes it clear, like, we don't get to see God on this side of, of life, okay? So we're supposed to serve and give our lives to something we can't see. Who does that? And, and see, here's the, here's the reason why this is so important, and here's the reason why I think God has set it up this way, is because faith is so pleasing to you, parents, or it's so pleasing to him, parents. Isn't it awesome when your kids just do something out of the goodness of their heart without you asking? They just kind of like see a need and then go fill it? Doesn't that just make you feel good? Like it makes you, it's like, it feels good on a number of different levels, kids. In fact, kids, here, here's, a, here's a, you know, you, you want to just earn some great points today? Go home, put the dishes away. Unload the dishwasher without being asked. And you, like, that will please your parents. I promise, it will. It just will. Like, like it's, it's so small. I think there's a similar dynamic going on with our Heavenly Father, where we don't get to see Him. And that's by design. He's, it's not that He can't show Himself. It's not that He doesn't want to. It's not that He's afraid to. That He's like, oh, I don't want you guys to see this side of me. No, it's none of that. He's by design set it up this way so that we have a chance to catch this. Earnestly seek him. And then allow him, which allows him to reward us someday because of that radical faith. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that cool? Isn't that, like, like, have you ever thought about it that way? That the reason why things are a little cryptic sometimes, or the reason why he doesn't just say, go, go left, not right, whatever, is he's, he's like, no, I don't want to rob you from the opportunity to trust me in faith and do something earnestly to seek me and find me. 
And here's the other thing I need to say about this, because there's all sorts of pitfalls when we're talking like this, is, is we can, you can start, you could hear me saying today that in order to be a Christian, in order to, to have faith, you must, in order for God to love you, you must do these things. It couldn't be further from the truth. God can, he already loves you. He can't love you more. We don't need to do this to, to gain his affection. We already have it. But we can do this to show our affection to him. And we get this one and only life. This is it, guys. It seems like this is it. We get however many years. We don't know when it ends. And, and at the end of it, we get a tombstone with you know, a date on one side and a date on the other and a dash in the middle. And that dash, what happens in that dash is really important. I'm wondering if for you and for me in that dash, will there be some authentic faith? Will there be some radical actions, some things done with boldness and conviction for who God is because of him? And we don't need to do it so that he loves us, but we can do it to prove our love for him. It's beautiful, and it's cool, and it's over the top. Actions like this, I wrote this in my notes, this kind of faith proves our trust. It's a proof of that we trust God. I also wrote, actions like this have a way of, of solidifying, authenticating, and growing our faith that we just, and, and a lot of us are, have been on the other side of that, the, of those decisions like, oh my gosh, what, my, what God did in my faith, I would, I would give 10 times over to get. It was so valuable. Like, yes, it, it felt at the time like it was costing me immensely. And at the end, it, was, it ended up being for me. You know why? Because God's for you. He, he's not mean. His rules are not arbitrary. His laws, his commands, his design for life isn't like, like I heard a sermon this week that was talking about like, it's not like God was up there and he made the rules and then he made people to follow the rules. The people came first. And then the rules were just kind of built around his character and who he is as a good God. And he's saying, you want, to, you want to walk in this way? This is what this looks like. And I need to write it down for you because you're not going to get it without that. We need to be instructed. We need to be changed. We need to be directed. We need that in life. And God did that out of love for us. And this radical faith, when we actually trust and do it and go towards it, is a chance for us to prove our trust. And it's a chance for us to do something bold. It's a chance for us to do something in confidence, with conviction, that, that we, all, like, like we all aspire to. And it's, it's a chance for us to, to come away with a story that might just might be worth retelling. A story that maybe our kids will, will remember the rest of their lives. Stories of faith when my mom or my dad did this. Stories of faith where, where a, a fellow student did this and, and went and did something. Nobody does, you know? Here's some examples of some over-the-top faith stories that, that I just love that I can't stay away from. Our friends Rowan and Sarah, we got a chance to see them. Was it yesterday? Oh, my gosh. That was, yeah. No, it was two days ago. Good. That, that makes me feel better. Rowan and Sarah just got married a couple years ago. Um, Sarah's church, before that she met Rowan, she was going to a church, a church that was established um, in an old strip club in Fort Collins. True story. The, the, the story goes that one of the strippers there actually came to Christ and, and then 
started talking to the owner of the strip club, who owned you know, the, the company as well as the building, led him to Christ, which that, I mean, that right there, is just, that's the overtop story there, like, hey, man, let's, let's pray, you know, like, that's awesome, you know, life changed. He's like, well, obviously, if I'm following Christ, I probably shouldn't be doing this, shuts down the, the strip club. A couple years pass by, he's praying, and he's like, God, I, I feel like you're calling me to be a pastor. Comes, he's, but he's like, I don't know what that means. So he goes and finds another pastor in town that's a godly man, and they partner together, and they, they created a church called the Genesis Project. It's growing and thriving in the strip club. Right? They're having church right now in, in an old strip club. They're, the story goes that um, the, in one of the youth rooms or the kids' rooms, the back rooms is was, was an old changing area, they vacuumed it hundred nay thousands of times, and they can't get the glitter out of the carpeting. It's over the top. Sarah joins this church. There's a trailer park next to the church. And they're like, well, that's our community. And she feels led with her. And at the time, she's like 22 years old. And this is kind of not a great part of town in, in Fort Collins. And she and this other dainty 22-year-old white girls move into this trailer park. In their community and, and, and her parents freaked out like what are you doing are you safe and she's like I don't know I can't explain it mom and dad but we have built such a such a strong bond in that community it's a very it was like a, a high Latino population she spoke a little bit of Spanish now she's fluent and she's like these people treat us like family who does that the people from the outside looking, what are you doing? So she meets Rowan, they fall in love, and they, they're like, they, all right, we're going to get married. And they have money for a down payment on a house, but instead of buying a house on, you know, anywhere in Fort Collins, guess what they do? They buy a single-wide trailer in the trailer home because that's their home. Most recently, they, they bought another house on the other side of town because they, they're starting to think about having kids and they need more space and that kind of stuff. And... And they're like, but they bought, first they bought the house, and they're like, no, we're not moving. They, they, they gave cheap rent to a family who needed it from the trailer park. They needed more space, so they lived there for a couple of years. And now they just moved in, and they gave that trailer that they bought when they first got married, they gave it to another family. Who does that? It's over the top. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian in the 30s. And I, if, I don't know if you know this portion of, of um, World War II history, but in the 30s, people saw the writing on the wall with Hitler and the Nazis. And it's really sad that uh, actually a lot of the churches capitulated to Hitler. They, they bowed a knee to him instead of standing up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a church leader that would not do that. And he found himself in, because of that, he, he found himself in a concentration camp and actually died in his 30s in a, in a concentration camp, in a Nazi concentration camp, standing up against the Nazis. He had, he had chances to leave Germany. His other fellow Christians did. He's like, no, I'm staying. Who does that? You know, like, like who does that? Um, who does this? Who walks for 12 years barefoot? just to maybe, just maybe bring some attention to kids around the globe that, that walk barefoot all the time. Talking about Dr. Jeff Brodsky, the Barefoot Mile, we've supported them for years. 
But that's what faith does. It, it stirs in us something to do something. The radical, like to wake up one morning and be like, I'm not supposed to put my shoes on. And I know, guys, here's, those are big things. And, and, and maybe God's calling you to something big. Maybe there's something stirring your heart. My guess is it's something smaller to start. Can I tell you what Christy and I are doing right now? This is really tangible. This is something you can do. It's not walking barefoot tent for 10 years. It's not taking on the Nazis. You know, it's like, it's not moving to a trailer park. Uh, Christy and I, and I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this, but Christy and I, uh, a few weeks ago, this is Christy's leadership. We were just talking about life and, and, and kind of ranting about life. Like, ah, this is so frustrating and, and this and that. And another thing, it doesn't matter what it is. And then all of a sudden, it was, she's like, Josh, we just need to pray. We need to, oh, what was the phrase she used? It was so good. We need a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus. A wholehearted pursuit of Jesus, a WPJ. And she's like, how about we just wake up from six, at 6.30 every morning. It's summertime and we can get away with this. Yeah, my mom's like, oh, wow, that's, Josh is being radical right now, which honestly, for me, that is. I, I'm not a morning person. I like to sleep till 10, you know, like it, it, it's my thing. But we've been up every morning, 6.30, praying for an hour. That's why the last couple of weeks I've been saying, like, guys, we're praying for you by name, because we are. Uh, most mornings, like, we're praying. Every morning we're praying for somebody from this church. And, guys, we're like three weeks into it, and I just can't believe. I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say as a pastor I've never done this before. You know, it's, it's so, so, like, like so earth-shattering, praying for an hour every day. Like, that, that a, a Christian pastor would do that. I know, it's like, it's like 101, that somehow I got this far and I missed it. It's been so radical. And in a sense, if you think about it, who does that? It is over the top. It costs us something. It costs me my sleep. It costs me my, my decompression time at late at night when the kids are in bed. I'm not working out as much. Like, the, the, it's cost me something. But man, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I, I just heard a friend, here's, here's another one that's tangible, that's doable. It's a story from, from CLC, I'll maybe let him tell it sometime. I just heard it a couple weeks ago, but he, he was far from God, started going to church and realized he'd maybe, he'd grown up in church a lot, but he actually didn't have a relationship with Jesus, with God. And he's like, you know, uh, he was kind of on the fence about it. He told me even like going up to, he's like, if I'm gonna do this, I wanna do this in a way that I'll remember. Isn't that cool? And he went up to Mount Holy Cross. And he climbed Mount Holy Cross one day. And you know, near the top, he gave his life to Christ. And he's like, I knew I needed to do something like that to solidify my faith. I, I, can't, I couldn't just pray in my closet. I couldn't just, you know, like have this moment at church. It had to be my way and I had to do it with him in a way that was kind of over the top. It's so sad to say, but who does that? Who carves out a day right now to just go seek the Lord in the mountains? You can do that. We can do that. So what is it for you? My closing questions are pretty simple. Number one, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to be a part of something bigger than what life has been lately for you? If it's life's a little boring, a little drudgery, wouldn't it be nice to, to, to have zeal for something, to have conviction and, and chase after something, not knowing what you might find. But at least you did it. Wouldn't it be nice? 
And the second question, probably the more important question is, do you believe this? Do you really believe he is worth abandoning things for? Do you trust him enough to abandon something? Give it up. Is it worth doing something over the top? And if it is, or even if, it, the, even if the potential of it might be, what are you willing to give up? What, what are you willing to do that's over the top? That might cause your family around to be like, hey, Dad, what are you doing right now? Hey, Mom, why are you doing that? I see you doing X, Y, Z. What are you doing? Or to, to give in a sacrificial way that's just like, whoa, you're giving how much? Who does that? And if you do, what might happen on the other side? How might God show up? Stay with us through this series. Stay with us as we explore what radical faith, what actual faith looks like. And I'm excited to see what stories might come out of it from this church. Here's the other thing I was thinking about. is like, what if this is how God wants to build his church? More specifically, what if this is how God wants to build this church? It's through stories of radical faith that people are like, I'm sorry, what? And they come and check it out because of that. We could do that. We could be that. And what I love about it right now is what we have is pretty small and pretty simple. There's not other things that cloud it in. You know, we don't have a band. We don't have, like, nothing flashy right now. But who might be drawn in because of legitimate, authentic faith if we were to live that out? I want to tell that story. Come tell it with us. Let's see what God does. Let's pray. God, I don't know why. There's it's just, I do know why. There's just, you're up to something. This week, I just, I just felt you in a way that, that says, tells me you're, you're doing stuff. In my life, in other people's lives, in this church. And I really don't know what that is, but I really look forward to see what you're going to do. And I pray for my friends here today that they would be able to sincerely pray a similar prayer of their own lives. Lord, I don't know what you're up to. I, I feel like you, you might even be calling me to this and it scares me. I, I'm a little bit, I'm not sure about that. Would you meet them there? And would we be able to tell the story someday of, of, of how you moved in big ways? Lord, may our lives not just be the American dream. Gross. That we come to the end of our lives and all we have to show for it is a suburban life. We want so much more. Would you come and move in us in radical, radical ways? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's, let's sing.